THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Creators like longtime listener and friend of the show Carl Smith and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Hacha! Picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 508 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. Folks, my name is Matt Baum. And I am the Internet's Joe Patrick. In this week's episode, we officially launched the War on Christmas with reviews of 10 of this Wednesday's new comics, including, but not limited to, Quincredible number one and Ironheart number one. Editing. Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum deep in the bowels of the ziggurat where we're going to discuss our must-read picks for next Wednesday. And finally, you've got nerdy questions. We've got nerdy answers. Let's play Ask a Nerd. But before we put on our corpse paint, spiked leather jackets, and black leather chaps to celebrate the blackest of Fridays, we better pour some blood all over this week's This April, Marvel's long-planned War of the Realms finally kicks off with writer Jason Aaron and artists Russell Dowderman and Matthew Wilson, with the Asgardian conflict finally coming to Earth. According to Marvel, War of the Realms will be an event of unparalleled scale on par with 2015's Secret Wars. War of the Realms will run for six issues, released over three months from April through June, and will draw in all of the publisher's major characters, including Iron Man, Thor, The Avengers, The Fantastic Four, Captain Marvel, Amazing Spider-Man, Daredevil, Black Panther, Venom, and more. Holy shit. Of course Venom's there. Why wouldn't Venom be there? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, along with the announcement came a teaser image featuring the recently returned Blade fighting alongside the Avengers. I love that. Captain America riding the winged Pegasus Aragorn. Okay. And what appears to be a sword-wielding, cosmically-powered Daredevil. No. Like he's all... <laughs> Just no. Like he's I all just... glowy. No. Nobody what? wants that. It's for one story, <laughs> calm your tits. Now, Matt, didn't Marvel just promise us no more line-wide events, or are we already suffering from event fatigue fatigue? I believe we are event fatigue fatigued at this point. Apparently, uh, we're back. You've inserted uh, you've inserted these words into my mouth, but Marvel's promise for not having any line-wide events expired like a year and a half ago. <laughs> I guess. I feel like just the other day, though, they were saying, nope, we're not doing it anymore. We listened, we're course correcting, and now like, yeah, fuck it. Now, with that said... If Jason Aaron is in charge and Russell Dodderman is at the head of this, I am fine with that. This sounds like it's going to be absolutely friggin' amazing. And he's been building to this for the last seven years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is crazy how long he's been building on this. And of course, if something this big was going to happen, if like all the realms do go to war, yeah. Cap is going to notice. Amazing Spider-Man's probably going to pay attention. Daredevil's probably going to pick up a cosmically charged sword and turn into a cosmic, you know, whatever. Yeah, Avenger. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> no, I think it sounds great. Um, the image of Cap riding Pegasus, while it's cool, where's the fucking Black Knight? You know? Uh, I don't know what the current status is of the Black Knight. Come on. What a great place to bring the Black Knight back. Seriously. I love that character, and they have not done shit with him for so long. He might be dead. I don't know. I don't think he's dead. Regardless, this sounds like a ton of fun. 
I am completely in. I don't care yeah. what the haters say. I I'm, love this shit. I'm way into it. And I think Secret Wars was probably the last really good big line wind crossover they did, right? Yeah, I mean, I loved Secret Wars, and then but I mean, like we had a bunch of really weak ones after that. That's the last well, really no, good Secret, one I can remember. Like after Secret Wars, that's when they kind of that's when they made the promise to like pump the brakes on the events, and then we didn't get another one until 2017 with Secret Empire, and that one was a pile of shit. Yeah, barely so. touched anything. So whatever. In Hollywood news, Jeff Lemire is having a pretty good month. Hulu has ordered a pilot for a TV adaptation of Lemire's Sweet Tooth from. Robert Downey Jr. and Susan Downey's team, Downey Production Company, according to Deadline. Sweet Tooth tells the story of Gus, a young humid-deer hybrid who navigates the perils of a post-apocalyptic world. Hap and Leonard co-creator Jim Mickle will write and direct the pilot. People loved Hap and Leonard. I tried to watch like three episodes of it, and I did not give a shit. I don't even know what it is. It was like, uh, who was it? An IFC, I think, original Uh-oh. show. Sure. There is no time frame for Hulu's Sweet Tooth. Joe, are you ready to cry your damn eyes out, Sweet Tooth style, all over again? Oh man, I, yeah, I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if I'm emotionally prepared for a Sweet Tooth yeah. TV show. Man, this is gonna be a, it's gonna be a tough sell for TV, mainly because you have like these animal human hybrid kids yeah and it worked so well in jeff lemire with jeff lemire's weird art and storytelling that you just bought it you were just in and you were like okay this is a really sad fairy tale and i fell in love with all the characters there was a point where i threatened to stop reading the book because i thought they were going to kill one of the characters and i was just like (laughs) i became that guy like no you are not punching this wonderful little character (laughs) anymore yeah i don't know i I, I think Hulu is a good place for it. You know, Hulu seems to be the the kind of um, up and comer when it comes to like really good original shows. Unless it's going away altogether. Why is it going away? It's part of that Fox deal. It's coming over to Marvel Disney. We don't know what the future of Hulu holds. Hulu is? Yeah. They're owned by Fox. I think Fox owns a stake, but not all no. of them. No. Hulu is owned by Fox. It is part of that deal. And nobody knows what the future lies for them. Well, they're still, they're still making plans, so yeah. fingers crossed. Could end up at Disney Plus or whatever it's called. Maybe Sweet Tooth will be uh, folded into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Ooh, I hope so. That would be great. Maybe he'll join the <laughs> Runaways. That would be awesome. Yeah, no, I'm excited for this. I love Sweet Tooth, and I, I think that they can do it justice as a serialized show. Again, like you've said about many things in the past, it's not the sort of thing I want to see as a three-hour movie. No, there's too if, much. If they're going to adapt it for a different medium, give me, you know, serialized chapters that yes. I can really, like, sink my teeth into. But yeah, I hope this is good. Speaking of Hollywood... Two and a half men actor John Cryer has landed the role of, you guessed it, Lex Luthor. (laughs) In CW's Supergirl, according to Deadline, this is Cryer's second time playing a Luthor. He played Lex... He played Lex's punk nephew, Lenny Luthor, in Superman for The Quest for Peace. I don't know if he was a punk as much uh, as he was like He was ducky. like a Hollywood punk. <laughs> he was like still ducky, yeah, as yeah. far as I can tell. <laughs> uh, something I didn't know, Cryer also voices the villain Felix Faust on the animated show Justice League Action, which is I really good. Not, I don't know that. 
they go on to, uh, the producers go on to talk about how much they've been lifelong fans of John Cryer and he's a super <laughs> talented guy, blah, blah, blah. I'm not taking but, anything away from Cryer. He's perfectly talented. Listen, you know? he was on one of the worst television shows in the history of television for 15 oh, yeah. fucking years. That guy doesn't, we don't know that guy anything. Right. And he never needs to work again. It's not like John Cryer's in trouble. Yeah, right, John exactly. Cryer never has to leave his house again if he doesn't want to. He can go full Howard Hughes, start peeing in jars and shit. So, I mean, aside from his checkered work history, this is not somebody that I see as Lex Luthor, do you? No, no. And I capped it off with a perfect question for you, but in a perfect oh, world, Cryer is definitely playing adult Lenny. Uh, yeah, you know what? Lenny Luther. I made this joke on the fan page. I said, John Cryer, I think he's playing Lenny Luther, who has killed and replaced Lex and or taken his identity. Just say, like, Lex put him in charge of this part of Luther Corps, you know, or whatever, and he's doing that. Just make him Lenny. That would be so perfect. I would love it. I, I would absolutely love it. Because, yes, he is not Lex Luther. No way. I, I, I love the CW shows. I love Supergirl. It's so good. But this news is baffling to me. Baffling. Yeah. Lex Luthor is supposed to be like a perfect human specimen, like Batman level well, you know, even, shape even and when fitness. He's, even when he's not that version, he's like calculating genius mastermind. Right. And he's still tall and bald and good looking. And John Cryer is none of those things. <laughs> I mean, he's bald, I guess. <laughs> I suppose. All right. Enough kicking John Cryer while he's down. He will make his debut in Supergirl season four, episode 15, which is scheduled to air in January. Set your okay. DVRs now. Can't wait. <laughs> That is your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed a ton of BS when we passed out during the hiding out portion of our John Cryer Film Festival. So, hit us up on the THN Forum's big news section, or better yet, tune in to Cover to Cover Live every Saturday, except for this past one, where we broadcast on our Facebook page from 11.30 to 12.30 Central Standard Time. It is your nerdy talk show. You need to call us. It's 402-819-4894 is your magic number. There's also a call now button on our Facebook page. That same phone number is also at the top of our TwoHeadedNerd.com website. If you can't be there live for the show, you can always leave us a message or you can send us an MP3 to TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com. It's review time in the cigarette, and Matt and I are probably too drunk to be making any sense at all at this point, but through the magic of editing, you editing. poor dumb bastards will probably never even know the difference. That's a joke, because I did a thing with editing earlier in the show that you haven't heard yet. So. I get it. It'll be Matt, great when it comes together. Sure. Matt, start us off, will you? This week, I decided to review Ironheart. From Marvel Comics, written by Eve Ewing, with art by Kevin Lebranda. It's 40 pages for $4.99. Here's your solicit. The former star of Invincible Iron Man headlines your own solo series! When a group of world leaders is taken hostage by one of Spider-Man's old foes. Not that old. I'm just saying. Riri Williams will have to step up her game. And she'll be stunned when someone from back in sweet home Chicago enters her life. Champions! Artist Kevin Lebranda, mentioned twice, I might add, joins award-winning poet Eve Ewing, who is actually a poet, as Ironheart steps boldly out of Tony Stark's shadow to forge her own future. 
kids, Riri is back in her own monthly book, and this one kicks off with a bang. Ewing is Ironheart getting a lot more attention these days and doing her best to operate in the spotlight. Like Iron Man, Riri's secret identity is not a secret, but unlike Tony, she's still pretty new with this hero business. Here, Ironheart is dealing with a new enemy, for her anyway, one that's using Parker Tech to control sound and cause general mayhem. And Ewing does a great job keeping the script very techy to show the reader how intelligent Riri really is and how her problem solving goes well beyond shoot the bad guy with a laser. I thought LeBrand's art was fantastic here, really fast-paced and action-packed. It would not surprise me at all to see him on Amazing Spider-Man someday in the near future with a framing and point of view this solid. While Ewing isn't breaking any new ground, she is establishing Riri as a capable hero following in the footsteps of Tony Stark, but also coming from a completely different background. I really liked that Ewing is not pounding Riri's identity as a young black woman down the reader's throat, but instead taking time to show us her character and her heroism. I didn't read much of the first Ironheart stuff in the pages of Invincible Iron Man, but I like the character, and I didn't feel lost here at all. This is quality, all-ages comic booking, with enough for even an old assholes like me to have a good time. Ironheart number one is a fun superhero romp that reminded me of some of my favorite Iron Man versus tech villain stories. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, the writer did a good job of taking the established tropes of the young hero kind of getting started uh, and spinning it in a new way while uh, putting it in a new direction uh, against the familiar. You know what I'm saying? Like, Yo, I, absolutely. But also doing it without being like, oh, she's black and she's a woman and she's a black woman. And she, you know, like, it's just like, yeah, this well, is who she is. And she admits, yeah, I, I mean, probably shouldn't be here based on who I am, but here I am. And now I'm just going to deal with it. There you know was, I mean? there was some of that, but like you said, it's not like, um, it's not used as a selling point. It's just saying like, yes, this is me here. I am here. Yeah. We go. It, it's also not used as a crutch for the character either, which yeah. I really liked. Exactly. Exactly. I enjoyed this a lot. I'm giving it a bite of it as well. Joe Patrick. Tell me about the impossibly ridiculously named Quinn credible. <laughs> number one. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, it means his name is Quinn and he oh, gotcha. is incredible. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Quinn Credible number one from Lion Forge. It is part of their Catalyst Prime imprint. It's written by Rodney Barnes with art by Selena Espiritu, colors by Kelly Fitzpatrick, letters by Tom Napolitano, cover by Michelle Wong. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Quentin, a high school sophomore, is looking to live his best life by moonlighting as a superhero. The catch, his power is invulnerability, and that's it. That's the only power he has. Fair enough. No super strength, no flight, no nothing. Just I am get hit by a car, man. Exactly. (laughs) TV writer Rodney Barnes is relatively new to comics. His only previous credits include last year's short-lived Falcon series, a chapter in a Secret Empire tie-in anthology, and the solo spin-off comic about young Lando. Oh, okay. But I remember. I recognize the name now. He's definitely done his homework, and he's delivered a first-issue rife with comic book tropes. 
Quinn is a walking checklist of well-known cliches. Teen genius? Check. Bullied by his peers? Check. Supportive parental figures? Check. Needs a harsh lesson to use his powers for good? Check. But Barnes takes that collection of familiar character traits and places them in modern-day New Orleans, a city still recovering from Hurricane Katrina, followed recently by a deadly meteor shower that left some survivors empowered. This book is set firmly in the Catalyst Prime universe, so we get cameos from several heroes like Noble and Glow, who help set Quinn on a path to superheroism. Barnes injects a lot of social commentary into the script. Quinn is interested in social justice, but maybe only to impress a girl. And they're following a and they are following the teachings of a community organizer that thinks the US government literally sent the hurricane and meteor shower to destroy New Orleans. I thought that was great because there really is like that conspiracy theory out there that there's like somebody making hurricanes off the coast of Africa and shooting them at America. Yeah. That's real. <laughs> it's it's all a little heavy handed and a bit mind boggling at times, but it's also got some charm. And I like the idea of a hero who can't be hurt, but also can't punch his way out of any problems. I really enjoyed Selena Espiridu and Kelly Fitzpatrick's art in this issue. There's nothing flashy about it. It's typical but solid superhero style in the vein of artists like Jamal Eigel. But Espiritu does a, a lot of really inventive things with panel structure that I appreciated. There's a scene early on where Quinn is FaceTiming with his mom. And instead of showing his hand holding a phone, the panels themselves are the phone screen complete with the weird perspective that you get with phone calls sometimes. Later on, there's a great action scene where the panels are jagged and inconsistent, showing the tension of the moment. You know who it reminded me of? Crisscross. Yeah, sure, definitely. Big time. Yep. Overall, Quincredible is pretty standard superhero fare with some real-world flavor thrown in, Maybe a bit too ham-handedly. It delivers the same lesson in 30-plus pages that Stan Lee and Steve Ditko did in half the time. But it looks good, and the concept is fun. I'm giving it a very strong skim it. I'm exactly where you are here, where this was not a bad comic book by any means, but it was kind of paint-by-numbers. There was definitely some fun stuff that was thrown in that kept me entertained. You know, like you said the teacher with the conspiracy theories on the hurricanes and shit like that. Like that was clever. And there was some fun stuff here that they did with his powers and how he's going to deal with this. But at the end of the day, it was very familiar. It's very, yeah, it very, just very familiar. Not a bad thing. It's a perfectly strong entry in the lion forge, you know, uh, superhero titles. And I'm giving it a strong skim it as well. When putting this next to a book, like, Ironheart, which I also think had a lot of very, not paint by numbers, but very familiar superhero tropes. I feel like Ironheart just executed it a little better. No, I agree. I agree. Ironheart Ironheart also had some social commentary. Sure. But it didn't seem... They weren't breaking any boundaries with either of these. They were just doing some clever things with 
good characters, and they're perfectly good books. I just think Ironheart did it a little bit. Totally agree. So that is a double skim it for Quinn Credible number one and a double buy it for Ironheart number one. We'll post our written reviews over at TwoHeadedNerd.com so the creators can build robot suits to come beat us up later. But we want to hear from you too, so call us, email us, tweet at us, Facebook us, whatever works for you, but we need to know what you thought of this week's new comics. And Joe and I come to the frozen battle lines ready, piloting our new ED-209 armor, leading a horde of armored moloids. Joe, let's show these surface dwellers just how bloody a Yule Tide can be while we review eight more of this Wednesday, November 28th comics during the ludicrous speed round. Wow, the stakes are so high. <laughs> ludicrous speed, go! Dead Man Logan, number one from Marvel. Old Man Logan got even older, I guess, and now he's suffering from adamantium poison, but he's not going quietly. While he may have lost his purpose while replacing regular man Logan, he's back on track now that he's dying and teamed up with Hawkeye, I guess. This was lighter hearted than I thought it would be and didn't make me care any more about Old Man Logan. Mike Henderson does a really nice job in art, and Edverson's script is... Like I said, funnier than I thought it would be, but it's a little off-putting. And there seems to be a ceiling for books like The Death of the Other Wolverine. And <laughs> I gotta say, I just don't care about Old Man Logan. And telling me that he's going to die in the end of this seems like a foregone conclusion. Why am I reading it? I'm giving Dead Man Logan a skim it. Regular Man Logan, the title <laughs> of the episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. DC Nuclear Winter Special. From DC. Okay. If you didn't pick up on that. I love a good holiday special, and this one has a fun post-apocalyptic theme to it. This issue packs a ton of heavy-hitting talent. Mark Russell, Phil Hester, Tom Taylor, Paul Dini, Cherry Ordway, Mike Norton, Scott Collins, and many more contribute some fantastic work here. I'm really glad I didn't look at the credits page to see the story titles first because the big reveal in the Tom Taylor story brought tears to my eyes. You big softy. Anthologies are hit and miss. We say this every single time we review one, but I loved DC Nuclear Winter Special from front to back. Great talents, great stories. Buy it. Labyrinth Under the Spell. 2018 special from Boom slash Archaia. Archaia seems to be the home of all the Jim Henson properties, and Labyrinth seems to be the only one I don't really care about. I really loved all the Dark Crystal stuff. I like that weird fairies thing that he did. But Labyrinth just isn't grabbing me. Both stories here are fine, but the art isn't quite as masterful as the other Henson books, which are truly beautiful. If you are completely in love with the source material, you might like this, but I can only give the new Labyrinth special a skim it. I just don't know what's going on here. Do you need me care. do you need me to sing the David Bowie song? Dance, baby, dance. Let's dance. <laughs> do the baby whatever. <laughs> Where it's like throwing the kid in the air and shit. Marvel Action, Spider-Man, number one from 
IDW. Right, yeah. <laughs> the way Marvel farms out their all-ages titles to IDW kind of weirds me out, and from what I've heard, it may not always be to the benefit of the creators involved. No, IDW is Marvel's new sweatshop. Exactly. But writer Delilah Dawson is having a blast here. She admits it. She's a lifelong Spidey fan, and it shows. She's able to condense a lot of currently popular elements of the Spidey mythos like Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales into a single place in a way that totally makes sense. Fico Asio's super kinetic cartoony art is fantastic and a perfect fit for an all-ages book like this. If you need something to entertain your kid during a long car ride, Marvel Action Spider-Man number one is a decent choice. It gets a very strong skimmit. I would suggest drugs, but that's just me. Hellboy and the BPRD 1956 number one from Dark Horse. I recently reviewed Chris Roberson's God of War comic at Dark Horse and didn't particularly care for it. But I'll tell you what, this guy writes a damn good Hellboy story. This issue sees Hellboy in 1956 dealing with the Soviets' occult activities as the Cold War is just starting to heat up. Fantastic friggin' art by Yishan Lee and more truly creepy and interesting paranormal weirdness done with just the slightest superhero touch. Also, there's a very sweet boy and his dog story running through this that made me tear up a little bit as a guy who just lost his best friend. If you love demons, UFOs, vampires, and historical fiction, you need to be reading Hellboy and the BPRD. I can't give this a bigger buy it. I know we do it every week, but we're not lying. Pick this up. Fantastic Four, number four from Marvel. I cannot tell you how much better this book feels in the hands of artist Stefano Caselli. He'd be the perfect choice for permanent artists on FF. Unfortunately, he only draws half of this issue, with Nico Leon stepping in for the rest. Leon has been contributing uh, to the book for the past couple of months, and his style is a pretty close match for regular artist Sarah Pacelli. I love Sarah Pacelli, I really do, but Caselli's slick, superheroic adventure style seems like such a better fit. The story is also improved, in my opinion, following the kind of lackluster first arc. The FF are back, but stepping into the roles they vacated isn't going to be so easy. While this issue definitely clicked a little better for me, Dan Slot's Fantastic Four is still finding its feet. I'm giving it a skim it. I have not had the same issue. I've been loving it. I'm giving this one a buy it, and I've really been digging it. Look, man, I, the first arc, the first arc about the like weird cosmic lady. You it gotta just clean that wasn't shit up. Great. He's cleaning up a mess. I get it, man, and I liked it. You're just being a jerk. Silencer number eleven from DC. The silencer has apparently seen some shit recently. I haven't been reading, but uh. Saw this was part one of a new story, and uh, I love Dan Amnett's writing, so I figured, what the hell. I ended up saying, what the fuck, with the first page that features a silencer dressed like a female storm shadow, accompanied by a cyborg head and a purple dinosaur dog named Mike on their way to kill Tali Al Ghul. <laughs> Needless to say, this is not a good jumping on point, but that doesn't mean I didn't have fun. Tom Derenick's art is detailed and beautiful, but he also had some help on the issue that was a little uneven. I had almost no idea what was going on here, but I gotta say, I still enjoyed the ride, and I plan on catching up on the silencer. I'm giving this a buy it. What a weirdo. It was fucking crazy. 
Infinity Warps, number one, Ghost Panther from Marvel because we demanded it. That's right. I've spent the last four days reading nothing but Infinity Wars tie-ins, and now I can definitively say that I was wrong. The Infinity Warps are kind of awesome. They aren't all great. Looking at you, Weapon Hacks. But I love the idea, and the creators are totally leaning into how ridiculous they are. Ghost Panther features an exiled T'Challa who meets Jericho Simpson, an amalgam of Dr. Voodoo and Ghost Rider's mentor Crash Simpson, who convinces him to take on the stage name of Johnny Blaze and become a, quote, motorcycle clown. Jesus. <laughs> when his father is killed by exiled Wakandans escaped from the Martian gladiator pits. Why yeah. the fuck not? Yeah, Why yeah, not? yeah. <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> Johnny, quote unquote, makes a deal that will give him the power to exact revenge upon the wicked. This story kicked ass. And the character warps are awesome and hilarious. For example, there's a warp between Shuri and Riri Williams named Shuriri. Too easy. <laughs> and it made me laugh <laughs> so hard. <laughs> Too easy. <laughs> Hefty Palo's art is brilliant and insane. Do not sleep on the Infinity Warps. They're not all great, but they're better than the main event for sure. And they are a ton of fun. These Ghost are the Panther. Emma Glam comics you've been waiting for. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Ghost Panther number one gets a huge buy it. That is your ludicrous speed round in. Is the sound of a dude throwing a rock at a cop's riot gear helmet, which I can get behind. As seen in the pages of Quincredible number one, this onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by me. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can tie it to a rock and throw it directly at our heads or just send it to us on any of our social media. Or you can shoot us an email, of course, to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Today, Matt and I find ourselves in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum Black Friday shopping in full black metal regalia and thank the black goat of the woods for such amazing deals. I know, right? Matt, let's give the THN MasterCard of Mephisto a break and tell these nerds about our picks for next week. Uh, just a short one. My pick for next week is Die! Number one from Image. It's written by Kieran Gillen with art by Stephanie Hans. 40 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. The Wicked! Plus, the Divine Rider, Kieran Gillen! Teens, we know who's on the damn book, all right? For their first ongoing comic, Die is a pitch black fantasy where a group of 40-something adults have to deal with a returning unearthly horror they barely survived as teenage role players. If Carrion's in a rush, he describes it as goth Jumanji. <laughs> Just definitely not it and definitely not Stranger Things. That is what it is not, and he wants you to know that. That only captures a sliver of what you'll find in this oversized debut issue where fantasy gets all too real! I um, sort of missed out on The Wicked and the Divine. I would like to go back and revisit that book because I know it is very intelligent. I think this sounds fun. I think he got really pissed off about people liking it to it and Stranger Things. He was real sensitive about it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can see why, based on this 
solicit, why people may. Regardless, yeah. he's a very talented writer. I'm curious about this one. I mean, I'm confident that he's good enough to transcend whatever of comparisons course. people make. Karen Gillen is not just going to like blatantly rip anything off. No exactly, way. Exactly. He's too smart. Joe Patrick, what's your pick? My pick for next week is Martian Manhunter, number one from DC Comics. It's written by Steve Orlando with art by Riley Rosmo. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. No matter what you know about John Jones, you're not prepared for this. Uh, the acclaimed team of writer Steve Orlando and artist Riley Rosmo re-team for a reinvention of the Manhunter from Mars in this twisted, unexpected series back on Mars. John was about as corrupt as a law officer can be. What? And when a reckoning comes for his entire society, he'll get a second chance he doesn't want or deserve. So One this is a whole murder. retcon. Whoa. One shocking murder and an unexpected fragment of the Mars he lost will change his life and the course of Earth forever. Now, full on retcon. When they announced this, I don't think they revealed this bit about him being corrupt. No, 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 uh, no, no, no. And I did not read this before today, and so I'm very surprised at it. Yeah. Uh, they've got some explaining to do, and they're going to really have to sell me on the idea that, like, the Justice League's most trusted member of all time used to be some sort of corrupt, corrupt cop. I don't know, man. I almost think it makes it more interesting. I mean, like, yeah, and his whole society's wiped out. And at that point, he's like, I got to change my fucking life. (laughs) We will see. We will see. I really like this team, and I love the character. I love Uh, Martian Manor. Interested. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Black Hammer Library Edition, hardcover, volume one, number one. Pay attention. Christmas is coming, and Matt Bomb needs this. It's from Dark Horse Comics. It's written by Jeff Lemire, illustrated by Dean Ormston, and various... It's 260 pages for $49.99, but it's what really a, big what and it's deal. really sexy. It's a yeah. big, sexy hardcover. It looks like, it like literally looks like a library reference book with like the yeah. fuzzy cover. So cool. Here's your solicit. The first chapter of the highly acclaimed Eisner award-winning superhero saga in deluxe oversized hardcover format. Mysteriously banished from existence by a multiversal event, the old superheroes of Spiral City now lead simple lives on a bizarre farm from which there is no escape, but as they employ all of their super abilities to free themselves from this strange purgatory. A mysterious stranger works to bring them back into action for one last adventure. This collects the first and second volumes of Black Hammer and Black Hammer Giant-Sized Annual in a deluxe hardcover and an oversized format with a new cover, sketchbook, extras, and more. These library editions are so damn cool. I love them. I love them. I have all the Hellboy ones, and they are the coolest. You need this. Everybody needs it. Yeah. Those are our picks for Wednesday, December 5th, but we want to know what you nerds are reading, too. We're fighting a war on Christmas here, too, kids, so we need your help keeping up on the cool comics. Also, keep yourself off your local comic shop's naughty list by making sure these picks and yours are added to your pull file. That's right. When you need answers to your nerdy comic book questions, who can you turn to? Ask Ask When you need to know if Superman could lift Thor's hammer, where can you go? Ask Ask When you've got a ridiculous question about how fictitious characters fight, fart, and fuck, you need... (laughs) Ask That's right, it's time again for Ask a Nerd. This time on Ask a Nerd, our friend Black Scorpion the Three is back with an underwater head scratcher for us. Joey, take it away. 
Here's what BS the Three says on the forums. <clears throat> I found out that Aquaman has a bed. I don't know how underwater sleeping works. <laughs> and as I wondered about that, I realized they're standing. Like, walking room to room. And they sit in chairs. Aquaman has a chair that he sits in. Yeah. Stairs. Yep. <laughs> I've come to realize that underwater living in comics is treated the same way the Flintstones cartoons treated the world. There's no real effort to appreciate the environment other than to give it a theme. For example, cavemen or underwater. In the decades since our underwater heroes have existed, we still just have them living above ground lives, but with fish replacing technology. <laughs> so here's my question. Do any comics ever get it right? Is it ever just dark as hell with no walking, standing, chairs, stairs, etc.? I feel like there's got to be some comics out there that's treated underwater worlds as truly alien. I'm not saying it's an ideal environment for stories. I just want to know if people have forever Flintstoned the seas. Yes. This and is a great no. question. <laughs> <laughs> and I totally agree. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just come out and be real honest, and this is going to probably make our friend Patrick Cavanaugh never speak to me again. I don't give a shit about Atlantis. I don't give a shit about Atlanteans. And I don't give a shit about Namor or Aquaman's kingdoms because they are ridiculously stupid for all the reasons he just listed. I don't really care about the kingdoms. I care about the characters. I care about the characters. I like uh, the characters. So I had an answer for his... Aquaman having a bed and, and a chair question pretty much immediately. And that is that Atlantis used to be an above ground city. Sure. It's it was sunken during a great cataclysm. So like the architecture, the reason that, that there's chairs and stairs that that is explained, but why are they still using them? Why are they walking on the <laughs> ground? Why right. are they, how do right. you even sleep in a bed? How do you even lay down? So, okay, like as an aquarium nerd, I can tell you that my fish, when they sleep, they do sleep. But like, you know, my, my moonlights come on and it gets kind of dim and it's super sexy in here. And I'm like, time to go to sleep, fishies. And they just sort of slow this is down. This some sound of water fish sex bullshit you're getting they, into. They just sort of slow down and they sink a little bit and they just kind of hold still. And that's fish sleep. That's how you sleep underwater. But they don't, they don't like sink to the bottom or lay no, on a log, right? They, they don't fucking there. like. Lay on their side, like oh, it's cold today, kids. <laughs> no, they don't, like, it doesn't fluff make sense. their pillow and flip it over to the cool side. And that was always my problem with like Atlantis and the Atlanteans and shit. Like they're wearing armor, they're wearing boots, you know, and like, <laughs> like okay, I mean, <laughs> why don't they have to like, an extent? I'm fine with them wearing armor and stuff. They're warriors, but, sure. Like, but I'm saying, like, why do they have boots on? Why are they, you know why are they carrying weapons in like? you know, regular human hands. Shouldn't they be just like full on fucking fish creatures, like crazy webbed hands and like crazy fins coming off their legs and big webbed feet and shit, you know, uh, like, so in Marvel, there are different races of underwater, right? Uh, there's the Lemurians uh, and there's all kinds of things, not just Atlanteans. And they are different. Some of them are more fish. like Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, Atlanteans, I guess are just evolved from human beings. I suppose. I still don't totally understand what happened there because we know the city sank, but like they didn't, nobody died. Well, magic. Uh, Arion, Lord of Atlantis, saved the city from destruction. And turned people into fish people. I guess. I don't know. I mean. See, I mean, like I always just thought like, fuck it. They're in a big dome down there and they're no, doing no, their they're thing. No, no, they're not in a dome. I know, but I'm saying if I, I had my druthers, they'd go one of two ways. They'd be in a big dome. And they're protected and they can still breathe underwater and shit because magic 
and swim really fast because magic and shit. But daily life is under a big dome, you know, and that's how so it's we live. dry in there. Yeah, 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 totally. Or, yeah, I mean, or they are full on freakish, terrifying fish people, <laughs> like shape of water, full on fish people. They have fins, they have scales, they have big eyes to see in the dark and shit. They ride like giant crustaceans. They wear like living like crustacean and like clam armor and shit that grows on their body. You know, like they're full on fish folks. I mean, they do some of that, like the armor, the Atlantean armor does look more like biologic, like coral or crustacean. Yeah, but they still just look like people with blue skin. It's dumb. Sure, sure. I mean- we're always going to get like the Disney, the Disneyfication of that of sort of thing, right? They're of not, course. Like you can't expect, or rather these companies don't expect people to want to care about like ugly fish monsters, you know, right. Aquaman's right. got to be handsome. Well, Aquaman still could be cause he's half human. And that would be one of the reasons why they'd be like, Oh, he doesn't belong. Oh, but he's our rightful King. You know, and you whatever. Know what? Like uh, Namor's the same deal. He's half yeah. human as well. And he's most a mutant. Of his, most of his subjects are blue. Namor is a mutant, you know? Yeah. Uh, you yeah, you I were mean, supposed to get all pissed off when I said that. <laughs> you hate he, that when I call Namor a mutant. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't want him being an X-Man. That's all. Um, so comics have got it right. There are very few. I think of, you're, you're going to have to look outside of superhero comics to find comics that treat the underwater world with any sort of realism. I'm going right out of there with Rick Remender and Greg Tokini's Low. Low is oh. an excellent, excellent and terrifying look of what life underwater would be like. And they're not fish people. These are humans that were literally chased underwater because the earth has become uninhabitable and they're running out of resources and they're going to die and they need to figure out what to do next. And everybody lives in these like underwater cities. They're like domed cities and they have vehicles that travel from city to city and shit. And it's a huge pain in the ass and it's beautiful to look at, but they show like, this is what life would probably be like really be like if we had to live underwater wonderful book low uh i'm i'm kind of getting away from like the whole idea of like underwater society but um a book that i really enjoyed that kind of dealt with the real danger and alien nature of the environment is uh department h yeah by matt kent uh it was a dark horse comic uh i don't i think it ended right i don't think it's still coming out i think it ended yes um and it's a murder mystery uh, set in this underwater research station, uh, and uh, uh, um, the lead like scientist's daughter has to go down there and kind of figure out what happened. And so it's sort of like John Carper- Carpenter's The Thing, in the sense that like they're in this totally isolated space uh, with no hope of help, and there's danger around every corner, and there's no like talking fish. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like no it's it's a lot more realistic of a depiction of what it's like to kind of survive down there. Yeah, as far as like superhero comics and like underwater stories and underwater civilizations, I don't think anybody gets it right. Now, I will say that I don't remember seeing a ton of stuff from Marvel's Atlantis with them like walking and laying in beds and shit. Like No. Not, but not also, a- we don't actually get to see Namor's Atlantis a ton cuz it's always fucking destroyed. Yeah, barely ever. 
Um, Honestly. So like they exist down there, but it's all very mysterious and, and, and they're um, antagonistic and it's not like a welcoming place. Right. So, but like, I don't think, I don't know if I've ever seen a Marvel comic that goes as far as like, here's where Aquaman sleeps at night. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Namor, you mean? Right. Yeah. Here's, here's Namor Namor's ninja blender where he yeah, makes his smoothies. Is, this is Namor's toilet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, Namor's got to mow his lawn. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, another good one would be The Wake, uh, which was a, uh, a sci-fi comic from Vertigo by Scott Snyder. And it was good. It took Sean a really Murphy. weird Sean turn. Artist. It takes a turn about halfway through where it like jumps to the future. It's weird. Yeah, it took a weird um, turn. I'm not saying it, I didn't like it. It also has like crazy underwater alien. Yeah. Shark monsters. Uh, yeah. But it's very much about like human beings trying to survive in the world that's trying to kill them. Yes. And about like how dangerous it is and, and you know, it being totally isolated, alien, dark, all the things that you mentioned. Right. Finally, tiger sharks. The tiger sh- the short-lived uh <laughs> silver hawks and thundercats underwater. Sea <laughs> Lab 2021. <laughs> yeah. From Adult Swim. Yeah, con- for some reason superhero comics have always just tried to make it look like Fantasy City yeah, underwater. Yeah, you know, it's like a Disney kingdom, right? You yeah, know, it's like totally. It's- it's lush and elaborate and bright and, right. and fanciful and but and, there's dolphins, you know. Right, exactly. But yeah, but Aquaman rides a seahorse. Right, you know, and yeah, I don't know. I just I never really cared about it. I yeah, don't know. it's it's just another case of like non scientific comic book writers not really understanding what it really means to or live honestly down there or honestly probably just doing the easiest thing they can. And right, go, all right, fine. Yeah. It's like fucking Camelot, but it's underwater. Got it. You know, fish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but maybe, maybe we're missing something. You guys, let us know. There's got to be some other like undersea superheroes in like Image or Dark Horse or somewhere that we're not thinking of that did a better job of this. I cannot summon anything. Neither can honestly. I. Like, like it, he hits the nail on the head. Like the Flintstoning of this yeah. environment. The the charm about Flintstones it is that is not that like they don't understand what cavemen were like. It's like, no, look, it's, it's a reflection of modern society through They're the a modern stone age family. Yeah, right. Exactly. Come on. Um, and I think that you're totally right that they don't want to get away with that when they're depicting things as fantastical as Atlantis, because they want people to like relate to it. Right. They want to know like, you know what? Aquaman's got to go to meetings and he's got to sleep sometimes. He's well, but just not just like that, us. but I, I think these artists were just like, well, I'm not going to develop a whole new fucking race of people and world and stuff. <laughs> you know, like I don't have that time. <laughs> like half the time, half the time I feel like they forget to even add things that make it look like they're underwater at all. Like, Oh yeah. Or fish. Definitely. Yeah. They're just standing around in the background's blue. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your question. BS three. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't think we really solved anything here, but we, we guys explored our gave some good stuff to read. You know? We gave some recommendations and, uh, we hope you check those books out. Let us know what you think. If you have a question for ask a nerd, hit us up on Facebook, email, Twitter, or the THN forums. There's a whole ask a nerd section where you can post your nerdy topic and we will investigate it for you. Excelsior! That is it for THN 508. But before we get out of here, Joey Patrick, we can't have these kids farting around all week with nothing to do. 
Reset the question of the week, please, as we did not have a chance to answer it last Saturday. All right, this week's question comes from New Guy via the THN forums. Captain America is my favorite fictional character, but it wasn't always this way. Like many dumbasses, I thought he was just a hokey symbol of jingoistic American exceptionalism. That was until I learned the reasons why Kirby and Simon created him and actually read a bunch of his stories. Holy shiz, was I wrong. But you nerds already knew that. Sadly, of course, those reasons still exist and many of his stories are still relevant because we haven't learned our goddamn lesson some 78 years later. It's true. Now I can't get enough cap. So that brings me to my question. Which character have you been the most wrong about? Who did you absolutely hate or misunderstand and then find yourself loving? Was it because of outright dumbassery like mine? Or because a new creator came on and changed the character around? Nope, I'm just a dumbass. If you are new to THN and you can't fucking stand what you're hearing, I guarantee it's just because you have not heard enough of it. Or maybe you just want to dig back in our digital long box and find some back issues of the show. Good news. You can do that at TwoHeadedNerd.com, where we host everything starting with episode one, which took place 45 years ago. I know. That's insane. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like Ethan Harrison, who recently upped his donation level to $200 a month. What a guy. Can you believe this guy? And he said he'd print THN t-shirts for free. And since we just called him out on the internet, he has to. This is great. It's Legally so easy. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Black Scorpion number three for saving our bacon this week by providing both a new question of the week, which you will hear next week, and a topic for our final segment. Word to you, sir. Thanks for keeping us in business. He's doing good work. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just come over and wet your underwater bed. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. It's very difficult because it's already underwater. Does does Aquaman even get up to go to the bathroom or does he just let it go? You know, that's a better question. But even if it's number two, you just roll over and bloop, you know, and... (laughs) The ocean is his toilet, Joe. Come on. (laughs) 